Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Time now for the Live Wire with Fiddy. Wes, you, you know it's it's all love. Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> like um, I don't mean anything by it. <laughs> oh, what are you getting at? I was just for, you know doing the you know you like. Oh, yeah. okay. All right, I got you. I but got you're you. right. Yesterday, great guest, star-studded show. Ron Rivera, Greg Olson joins them. We'll start with River, with Riverboat Ron. Um, he offered his opinion on what team. Carolina should copy what model they should copy to build around their quarterback in Bryce Young. Well, you know, I would take a long look at what New Orleans did, you know, with, with, with Drew Brees. You know, you build up that front. You, you've got a massive center and guard combination. Those three big guys have to be stout at the point. They can't allow any push or penetration. And then make sure we got good athletic tackles to, to, to wash those outside rushers. And then give him an opportunity to, to, to do the things that he does best, you know. Uh, whether it's, it's play action pass, whether it's, it's, it's drawback pass, or it's, it's from the shotgun, these are the things that they, they need to do with a guy who has that kind of ability. He, he reads very well. He's a, he's a great timing passer. You know, he delivers a good catchable ball. I mean, these are all positive things that, again, coming in, do these things for the quarterback. Uh, Walker, first things first, are you a New Orleans guy or a New Orleans guy? No, good question. I'm New Orleans. I don't I don't put the extra stank on it and go New Orleans. I think I say both. I'll say them both. It just depends. I say New Orleans sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I say New Orleans. If if I want to put an extra, a little bit more Cajun seasoning, I'll go New Orleans, and I'll try to go with that. But I always okay. sound like a, a jerk when I say that. So I usually just go with <laughs> New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans is what I roll with. When, when, when you take into stock what, what the former head coach of the Panthers said, it's obvious that they didn't do that year one. How hard is it going to be to do it year two when you have limited draft capital, not a first-round pick, and you've only got $30 million in cap space that you got to reinvest on guys on the defensive side of the football? It's not the exact opposite, but I hear Ron Rivera discuss what kind of offensive line he wants for a smaller quarterback like Bryce Young. And I look at this offensive line in Carolina, and there are some opposites. So if you're looking at the interior, Brady Christensen is supposed to be the starting left guard. But Brady Christensen wasn't one of the more athletic guards in the draft. He was crazy athletic, right? Like when he was coming out of BYU, the whole thing with Matt Rule, we made the joke about how Matt Rule didn't want to put Brady Christensen at left tackle because his arm length wasn't long enough. And so that's why they move him to the guard spot, despite Christensen being one of the more athletic tackles in the combine. So it's the exact opposite of what Ron Rivera is saying. You get a strong, stout, mean, nasty interior that doesn't allow any push. And then you put the athletic tackles on the outside so they could wash out any of those edge defenders. Wes, when I go exact opposite, doesn't it feel like Brady is the athletic guy and Iki Iquanu is the powerful guy? Like, doesn't it feel like you can maybe switch it? And that would fit 
the description of Ron Rivera more so than what we have in place right now. Yeah, that, at Wake Forest, that's how we kind of built our offensive line. That's why they allowed me to play tackle, and they had bigger guys on our interiors. And so that's kind of how they built it on that same premise. And so for a guy like Bryce Young, yeah, obviously for him, vision is everything because he's not a 6'5", 6'6", guy back there. So you want to make sure that interior is buttoned up so that guys aren't in his face cloud and his vision because it's already going to be slightly limited because of the height. And so, you know, Ron is a defensive guy all day. He played in the trenches. He played in that front seven. So he knows how important that is, especially from an offensive uh, standpoint, being that, you know, he played on one of the greatest defenses of all time. And he knew, like, hey, if we can get up the middle on the quarterback, that kind of ruins everything. And so uh, I think his philosophy and what they need to do makes sense to me. There are going to be some guys out there in free agency that the Panthers can go and get. Uh, to your comment about Iki Aquino, I'm not sure, you know, how much he'd enjoy that if you did that. But right. he may have to do it for the betterment uh, of the team. Go ahead, Fiddy. What else you got? All right. So I mean, we mentioned Ron Rivera joined the show. Walker, you also went over to Stake 48 and joined Greg Olson ahead of his Hortus Yard charity event, but didn't eat steak and didn't bring any steak back. Did you have to wait in line, too? I saw everybody interviewed him yesterday. Well, they did, and I did not. I went up there early in the morning, so that's how I had enough time and got there at 925. And you didn't think when you were leaving to get a steak for the, the show? I don't even think they were cooking them. <laughs> Walker would have spent some skrilla getting us some steak. I was going to say, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I've, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I really doubt I'm working here if I'm just hooking everybody up with steak 48 steaks, okay? Like, hey, yeah, no, no, not a big deal. Just on a normal Tuesday? Yeah. Sure. Here's a bunch of steaks for everybody. <laughs> but uh, during the interview you had with him, he admitted that he did not pursue coaching in this coaching cycle, but he does believe that he would be successful at it. Would I have entertained it? Absolutely. Would I have taken the job? I don't know. I, I think it would have to be the right situation. I think anybody would be crazy. Do I think I could do it? There's no question in my mind. I think... You know, everyone is so quick to, to say, oh, you know, you're unqualified because you haven't done it. I, I played 14 years at a high level in the NFL. I would argue I've had more access to coaches' mindsets and, and building culture in locker rooms and X's and O's and understanding of the game than, than any coach would have in over the same 14 years. So I, I think we mistake, you know, if I would have spent those 14 years as an assistant working my way up from quality control to a position coach, I would have been a great candidate. I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic that the NFL has. I think it's going to take one former player to kind of break that mold and show, listen, I might not have come up the conventional route, but I'm damn good at this and I can do it. Whenever that guy does it, whenever that happens, I think it'll change the mindset of how people view coaches. But it's not something I pursued. I had no conversations with Tepper about it. But in my mind, do I think I could have done it? There, I have zero doubt in my mind. Walker, I'll start with you. We've seen this in the NBA. Jason Kidd, Steve Nash become head coach shortly after their playing career. I forgot all about Steve Nash. You know, you know, came to an end without, you know, doing the assistant route. I think he brings up a good point. And Greg does feel like the guy that could be the first one to break the mold because I don't know about you hearing that live and hearing it for a second time. He's great in TV. He wants to be on the sidelines. He's going to be a coach. It just feels like how long does he have to wait? So, yeah, I, I you, you go back to the end of that interview, though, and he did say if I had my choice, I'd rather be doing this for the next 20 years rather than going on the coaching. Uh, <laughs> well, because the, the money's sideline. good and it's cushy. 
But also, no, you're right. Like, it, he did say that. You're right. But it did sound like he at least wanted to just uh, get rid of the notion that he wouldn't be good at coaching an NFL team. I thought that was the most interesting thing of the entire interview, to be honest. Because he did say, yeah, he put his name in the ring. He didn't have anything formal with David Tepper. There wasn't an interview. But he would be open to coaching an NFL franchise. And the fact that he would have thought about it, that was really interesting to me. I do think he's right. Like, one other thing Greg talked about, we've seen guys get jobs from the the TV platform. They were involved in football before. They get to TV. And now these GMs and these decision makers, they get to hear your take on a lot of different things if they're tuning in every single day or every single weekend. And they get to hear the way you think. They don't even really need an interview like that because they know how you feel about all of these different situations. And so now that you have the football background, having been immersed in the sport for quite some time, now they get to hear all of your opinions. The fact that he played with Carolina for so long, the fact that he put the work in to do the TV, like he was doing a lot of different things with NFL Network and so on. And he even told you he's learned as much the last three years in all of these coaches' rooms as much as he did in the 14 years that he played. Yeah, if there were to be somebody successful going straight from being a player to being a head coach, Greg Olson seems like that guy that would be successful doing it. Yeah, that's a great point uh, that you bring up. I still feel like that with a lot of guys, you aren't going to really know what it's like until you're in it, until that pressure is on. I mean, it's one thing to be hanging out and learning and soaking stuff in, but then when you get out there and you got a coach, and you got to win games, and especially if you come out and you're not hot out of the gates and you're feeling that pressure from the fans and, you know, guys are looking at you like, do you really know uh, what you're doing? So I do think he could probably use a little bit of experience before he jumped into the coaching round because with how many guys do we hear about that they say it's so much stuff that you don't even know you have to be worried about as a head coach on top of managing the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and making sure the game plans are right. I'm not doubting that he couldn't do it one day, but I do think he would need a little bit of seasoning instead of him just stepping right in because the way he made it sound is like he could step right in and be Vince Lombard. He did. Yeah, yeah, he's very confident. (laughs) No, he's confident. And I I do think it's because now he has multiple perspectives. It's not just from player perspective anymore. I I thought that was really interesting, too. What else you got, Fiddy? All right, the last piece of sound we'll play for you is we started off yesterday's show talking about the laugh heard around the world after LaMelo Ball laughed on the sidelines during another uh, Hornets blowout defeat. Yesterday was the off day, but Steve Clifford did address his star point guard's uh, behavior on the bench. I didn't see that. I heard about it. So, I mean, look, we've had a... We, our guys, no matter what anybody says, our guys have done a good job of competing, working hard. You know them. So to think that they're not serious. We do know them. That's, I don't worry about that because I'm here. I've been around teams that are. These guys are uh, handling frustration, handling disappointment is a huge part of all sports. Uh, some people can handle it well. Some people don't. I know this. When we lose, they're disappointed. Um, they came up there today. We had a shorter practice. You know, not very taxing. The concentration was good. The energy level was good. Um, so, you know, again, we have to find out. We have to find a way so that we sustain our play better. But our attitude and stuff is not the problem. Wes, we heard you chime in during that sound bite from Steve Clifford. Do you think this is a, a team that takes losing and losing as often as they do by the margin that they do seriously? 
I mean, look, at its core, yeah, are these guys that come from winning backgrounds and they're used to winning, yes. But at the end of the day, like I said, from the fans, all we can go by is what we see and what we hear. And we don't hear enough anger. We don't hear enough frustration from the players about what's going on there. And then when you see the optics of guys laughing and kikiing it up, uh, when you're getting the hell beat out of you for like the 40th time in two months, uh, yeah, it's going to frustrate some people because they just don't feel like this team takes it serious enough. And the scores uh, kind of reflect that as well. They're lopsided scores. It's not like this is a team that's losing three by two, three, four scores on a on a nightly basis. And they're right there in a play here, a play there. No, it, it's been blowout city uh, very often. And so I think that's the thing that kind of gets under people's skin just a little bit and why they don't want to see uh, LaMelo and those guys laughing. And it's a bit of nostalgia, you know, and not to say the players back in the day never laughed on the bench when they were getting beat down, but everybody just goes by with the greats and the legends and the Larry Birds and the Michael Jordans and the Magics and those guys. And I don't think you'd see very much laughing on their sidelines uh, when things are going as bad as it's been going for the Hornets. Uh, look, uh, we'll, we'll keep it short here for me. I think LaMelo, the thing about him is it, it doesn't mean it has to be black and white. You're either a leader or you're not. Yeah. People are complex, and so there are ways that LaMelo might lead. Honestly, I think the way that is is that he's in the gym constantly. I don't think you hear any... Uh, I don't think you hear any criticism about him putting a lack of work in. Like, this is somebody that loves being in the gym. It's it's a little bit of a weird personality because here's LaMelo telling you, yeah, he doesn't love watching basketball as a kid, but he loves playing it. Like, loves it in the gym constantly. And so that matters. But also, he's just not going to be the vocal rah-rah galvanizing of the troops type of player. And if you got to find somebody to do that, that's great. But it's not Gordon Hayward. That's been the M.O. on him for some time. We thought it might be Terry Rozier, but at least it wasn't enough to change anything here. P.J. Washington isn't going to be that leader for them. Miles Bridges, we thought, might be. But when you take 92 games away from the team because you hit uh, because you got a felony domestic violence charge, then it's only going to carry so much weight when you try to be the leader of that squad. Having missed so much time, it, it's, it goes only to further prove that there needs to be a massive shift with this franchise, and we'll see what can happen after Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall decide to make the decisions as majority stake owners.